0: Romans 12.1, will you please read this with me? I beseech you, therefore, our brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, see the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank You so much for the opportunity to open Your Word tonight. I pray that it would just erupt before us tonight. by the power of Your Holy Spirit, may we all just go, Wow, what an awesome God, what a beautiful book, what an amazing, wonderful Holy Spirit that would teach us the things You're going to teach us tonight. And Lord, for every one of us, may we be challenged, not threatened. May we be encouraged, strengthened. May we be excited and hopeful for what you have for each of us. And I pray tonight that you would meet every one of us right where we're at. Immerse us all in your Holy Spirit, God. Come upon each of us tonight that we would all be used by you in whatever manner or means you see necessary. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would do something brilliant and beautiful in this time. I pray, Lord, that you would just let your word burst open and just speak to each of us. I pray that our hearts would be laid bare before you for whatever it is you want to do. I pray our minds would be available. Even as we pray tonight to open our hearts, our minds, our mouths, our eyes, do so, Lord. And now, Lord, in this text, bring us all into a more meaningful and right relationship with you. May our walks become walks, dances, beautiful things before each of, of each of us before you. And now, Lord, may we have so much fun in your word. In Jesus' name, amen would say tonight, as I like, would any, please don't just believe me. Don't assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the final say. Now, I don't know how much you may know about Martin Luther, uh, but Martin Luther, of course, had a, um, had a decent reason to stand up against the church as he knew it before he, before that time. It was selling things called indulgences, which basically was sort of like paying ahead for your sin, uh, so you were going to have a wild night, this, a wild weekend. You could go and pay the church ahead of time so they could pray you out of whatever, you know, purgatory, whatever the case is. And, and of course, that was ludicrous and completely unbiblical. But the biggest thing was in this issue of grace versus works because the whole idea is we're saved by grace. And Romans was, of course, a great book for him. He grabbed a hold of a book like Romans because the whole thing was is it's like we're saved by grace. But when he got to the book of James, uh, Martin Luther called it an epistle of straw. Um, he he had so much problems with it and the reason is is because there it will say faith with works and here it says faith and I don't get how faith saves you but faith with works and James which one is right well they both are and in the simplest sense and the only reason I say that is study the book of James it's a powerful book is really the idea of it is that the faith is displayed here as the saving tool the vehicle but in the book of James it's the type of faith that you have it's not faith plus works it's a faith that works And the bottom line is simple. Faith simply means trust. Everybody has some, and we'll see that the Lord has given to each one of us a measure of of faith. A measure of it. We see that even in our text in chapter 12. However, in that, we are going to spend that somewhere. Having it isn't enough. Or to proclaim that I believe in God like I believe in Santa or the Easter Bunny isn't enough. The same way that I could say I believe in the 384 bus line, but until I get on it, I'm not displaying honest belief. I can say it exists, but I really display trust when I put myself in it. And that's the idea. And and to understand, James is the idea that if you really trust in God, it's going to do something to you. That's the point. Yes. Is it so loud? Is it? Oh, wow. Okay, sure. Yeah, thank you. We can do that. Is that better? Okay. Yeah, I would hate for you to be like coming out of here with your ears ringing. Now, now please hear me. Please hear me on this. When we talk about this aspect, we walk through something where we're looking at this book and it's a very very segmented very carefully written book of course god wrote it so it should be carefully so but it it is segmented into five sections this book of romans and what i've done hopefully i have them with me and i should here um is i've actually taken the liberty of kind of breaking down those chapter headings um those sections just to make things a little easier on you so here take these and i've given key scriptures for all of the first four sections. You good, dear? The toilet? The real? There you go, sure. Hey, Brown, well, it's good to see you. Hey, it's good to see you. It's good to see you guys. It would be weird not to say that now, it's almost like awkward. Okay, now now please hear me. And I I want to go through this quickly, but at least I want to get you kind of the idea of how this is so intentional of God. Chapters 1 and 2, basic section, first section, sin. The focus on it is, in a simple sense, God's revealed himself to man. Man said, no thanks, and traded, 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 traded. On the back, you'll see key verses for that first section, and you'll see those verses revolve right around that. The idea that man exchanged the truth of God, exchanged the glory of God, not in that order, but you'll see that in chapters 1 and 2. The basic sin is not, I want to go out and have sex with someone else. The basic sin isn't, I want to go steal or do drugs. The basic sin is, God says, here I am, and we said, no thanks, I'll take something else. That's the basic sin. Everything else kind of revolves around that. Chapters 3 through 5, we get into our second section, which is the area of salvation. In the area of salvation, it is by faith, not by works, but by faith, but a faith that does stuff, a faith that brings us to action. Even in chapter 1 it said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. Now some would say the idea is I have faith and I'll get more faith, but that isn't the idea of coming from faith to another faith. The idea throughout the entire book is you had faith in yourself and you're removing it from faith in yourself to faith in Jesus. That's the idea here. And you've gone from faith to faith. Now, now with that in mind, chapters three through five, there's the emphasis then on Jesus' finished work at the cross and us trusting it, His resurrection and the right to be Lord. In chapters six through eight, the basic point here. Now we get into our third area. That's the area of sanctification, and all that means is being set apart. Now, Now that God has saved you, and you're the only living thing in the morgue, you're the only floating thing in the Titanic. God wants to make clear then that you are to be set apart. And what he starts doing is showing you that you are no longer the person you used to be. That's, and by the way, for some people, do you know they'll never get past that? They'll never really grab a hold of the fact that they, the old person they were has been killed and a new person has been made in their stead. And if you don't grab a hold of that, you'll really not want to go any farther. Now, follow me on that. And the idea is simple. Now the old man has been killed, the new man is resurrected, we were buried with him in baptism, raised in the newness of life, and so a series of questions kind of ensue. Should we sin that grace should abound? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? What should we say then? Is the law sin? And in all the cases, of course, the idea is, of course not. Why would you continue in that which you used to live in when you're a new person? The old person did that, but the new person shouldn't. No matter what kind of excuse. And you're going to submit yourself, hear me in this, you're going to submit yourself or present yourself to one or the other. In chapter 6, it's very clear. You will present yourself to sin that leads to death, or, and to further ungodliness and filthiness, or you'll present yourself to the Lord, which leads to holiness, which leads to righteousness. You're going to present yourself. Don't forget that word. In chapter 6, he goes, and he doesn't even use the word until chapter 6. You've dealt with the fact that you realize you're a sinner. You've dealt with the fact of what it means to be saved. Now that you're saved, now that you've said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, if you've not said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that choice tonight. To say, yes, I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross and that you rose again on the third day to be my Lord. You have that choice to make tonight. If you have said yes, well, then you're at least in chapter 6-8 he starts setting you apart. And he says, no, stop acting like who you used to be because you ain't that person anymore. That's the idea here. And that's where we get things like, why do I do what I don't want to do? What I do want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do do. You know, and it's like in the end, dooby dooby doo. And in the end of it all, what you get is this kind of, there's two things in, in, in sort of competing inside of me. The flesh nature and the spirit that God placed within me. And those two things are competing for preeminence. Chapter 8 then says, one of the two you're going to walk in, you have to choose which one you're going to walk in now. That is all setting you apart. To walk in the flesh, in the simplest sense, can I just say, to walk in the flesh is just simply walking with a me first attitude. That's all it really means. Me first. Me at the front of the queue. Benefit me first. Me first. I want this to be about me. That is walking in the flesh. And he says, nobody who walks in the flesh can please God. You can't please God and have a me-first attitude. That's not going to happen. So chapter 6-8, through eight, how does God set us apart? We stop being me-first people. We stop being the person we used to be run and controlled by sin. Now we walk in the Spirit of God and that's chapter 6-8. Third section. Now that we start being set apart, we start desiring God's will. The problem with desiring God's will is the only way God's will can be done is God's way by God's power and God's methodology. The problem with that is if I don't trust that God is in control, I will try to help Him when I shouldn't. And if I do that, I will be burnt out, I will be frustrated, I will be confused, I will be a lot of things, but what I won't be is joyful. What I won't be is appreciative of any ministry that the Lord starts putting in my my mind or my heart. Instead, what I find is that things become more of an obligation than an opportunity. Things become more of a burden than a blessing. Now, in chapters 9 through 11, the focus, by the way, is must be on God's mercy. And the reason I say that is chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, literally through dia, through the mercies of God. If you have the New International Version, it will say, in light of or in view of God's mercy, this is what you should do. By the time we get done with even this particular statement, which by the way, we don't have to go more, more than verse 1, he'll say, which is your reasonable service. In other words, the only really logical thing to do, the word reasonable for what it's worth is the word logike, and it literally is the word we get from where we get logic from. In other words, when he says, this is your reasonable service, and it was the only reasonable response to chapters 9 through 11, or chapters 1 through 11, is to serve him. It's the only logical choice to make in light of it. Now, interesting, in those chapters 9 through 11, when God shows that he is sovereign, what he shows is that he is sovereign and he's smart. He is so smart that he could give people choices And still know how to use them for His glory. And what we learn in chapters 9-11 through is that everything that God allows is all about reconciling men to Him. If you want to run from Him, He'll use you to reconcile other people to Him. If you want to obey Him, He'll use you to reconcile others to Him. The only difference is whether you enjoy the journey. He is going to use you either way. Either as an example or as a warning, but you are going to be used one way or another. Every time I walk down the streets and share Christ with people, and I see a homeless man who seems to be a bit, sort of a few light bulbs short of the chandelier, I am reminded that that should be me. And I'm not, this is not false humility, I'm being honest. But for the grace of God, that would be me. And though that man clearly doesn't seem to be, or that woman doesn't seem to be in submission to God at that moment, God still uses that person. It is almost impossible for me to walk through a person like that, seeking the Lord in prayer and not thank the Lord that that isn't me, and want to help them if they would be willing to receive that help. I've learned this. Every guy that sells the... I want to put you on a challenge this week with me. I wouldn't give you a challenge I wouldn't do. Every time you see a guy selling a big issue, every time you see somebody asking for money, panelling, whatever, ladies, be safe. Make a wise choice in that. If they're in a dark corner by themselves, don't go alone. Go and just get to their level. Ask them what their name is. You can say, hey, look, it, I, I don't. I'm sorry I don't have change to give you. But can I ask your name? I in the last um maybe four months, three months, have made it my ambition that there would be no man of any sort like that or gal, that I wouldn't stop and at least ask that much. It's amazing talking to them when the conversations break out. They would rather have that in a lot of cases. Who wouldn't want who wouldn't want to have money when you're whatever, addicted or you need or whatever? But at the end of the night, many of them have told me later, you're the person I remember at the end of the night. Because even the person that throws the tuppen in the tin doesn't even give me the time of day or give me any form of credit that I'm human. And some of you, if you've ever been out on the streets, you know this. You know the difference because, let's be honest, time is more expensive than a pound. I just want to challenge you with that the point in all of that is, is that God will use anything for repentance, for for restoration, for reconciliation. That's what we got by the end of chapter 11, is that God is going to restore the nation Israel. Now please, can I say this carefully? Please always separate the people from the politic. Please. If you want to, you know, I, I, and, and I got to speak with somebody this week, forgive me, we're going to get into our text, but it's, the good news is it's three verses, um, that has a real problem with Christians blindly supporting the nation Israel because of the verse in Genesis 12:3, which says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, which can I just say is the goofiest reason to support anyone. Because what you're saying is, I'm going to bless somebody because I know that if I bless them, I'll get blessed. Sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? people need Jesus. And if that's a Jewish person, that Jewish person needs Jesus. If it's a person that's called Palestinian, they need Jesus. And and what I've learned is we've delivered over ten and a half tons of relief to that nation, not to the government, not to Israeli, but to any human being that would allow us to share Jesus Christ with them as we did. That is to an IDF, that's the Israeli Defense Force, to an IDF branch. Well, we told the ultra-Orthodox, look, it, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. I respect if you're going to go. I respect that, but I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And we'd bring them candy. Strange, I mean, these are kids. These are 18-year-olds, with all due respect, if you're that young. They're like 18, 19-year-old guys with, with automatic weapons. They're scared to death. I mean, they're still burping their mother's milk in some of the cases. And it, you come, to be honest, coming with candy is actually a pretty radical thing for those guys you get to come in and go, look, I just want to pray for your safety in Jesus' name and that you would fall in love with the God who wants to protect you. What's interesting is even the ultra-Orthodox, which they do bow out of that circle, stand in the doorway. I've never seen any of them go go beyond the place where I couldn't see them and that they would watch and they would listen. And of course, you're probably aware of that kind of opportunist preach the gospel prayer thing that you might do at a moment like that. And, And here's the point of all that is that God knows how to use whatever it is. But please love the people. There was a Christian, quote-unquote, Christian television ministry that gave over a million dollars, American dollars, to the Israeli government, which then the Israeli government turned around and handed 600,000 of it, from my understanding, to the Yad Lechim, which is the anti-missionary organ- one of the anti-missionary organizations in Israel. So in other words, think about it. A Christian, quote unquote, television ministry just sponsored, just gave six hundred thousand American dollars to a group to help stop other people from preaching the gospel. That's what happens when you play with the government. But you've probably learned this in just about any place. Playing with the government's a dangerous thing. Get to the people. It just and the difference is, by the way, it isn't as big of a photo op. It, 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 people are important. Well, as we get into this issue of sovereignty, and we trust God. It starts in chapter 12. We move into the last section, which is the area of service. Please, please, please hear this order and never forget it. This is what God, I am sure this is what God wants every one of us to know, buried and burned and etched deep into our hearts. Whatever ministry the Lord has called you to, and I am convinced that he has called every one of you to full-time ministry. Now I can't tell you that means you're going to catch your paycheck from the church. We don't even do that. But it does mean that no matter where you are, you're in ministry. Never forget, it starts with the fact that you recognize you're a sinner. If you forget that, you'll start to think you're better than someone else. If you forget that, you'll make allotments which will cause your own fall if you're not careful. Always remember you've been a sinner that has been saved by grace. Not by your works. You'll never earn it It has always been by God's gift. That's the second area of salvation. By the way, that also reminds me that no matter who I'm talking to, no matter how crazy, lambastic, outlandish they are, no matter how deep they are in their sin, they're wearing a shirt that says, I love satin. I met a guy like that once. I'm like, wow, I didn't know you, but he was a terrible speller. I think he was trying to say I love Satan. But I'm like, I didn't know you were into fabrics. That really got him angry. Satin, you love satin? It's like, that's Satan. You're like you can't even spell Satan. All right, anyway. But, but in the end of it all, it's like, at, it, we want to argue over, oh, that guy's a homosexual, or that person's a drug addict, or that person's a pedophile, or that person's a drug dealer. Or that, like, we want to hang, t- you know, some title on these individuals. And in the end of it all, you know what they are? They're sinners, like us. And because they're sinners like us, they get saved the same way we do which is through the gift of Jesus Christ by putting the trust that God has given them upon Jesus' work at the cross and his lordship at the empty tomb. Does that make sense? I don't want to label people. It's silly. That's like, all right, let's get all the black Christians over here, the white Christians over here, the black unsaved over here, the white unsaved over here. Let's get the Asian unsaved over here. And, you know, and, and, you know, if you're Jamaican, I'm not really sure. Are you really African? Are you Asian? Are you what? You know, I think it's goofy to me. In the end of it all, we're sinners, Saved by grace—that's the second area. But let's just say that Sam and I welcome, bro. It's cool. good to see you again. Let's say Sam and I wanted to go plant a church, and we were going to go to Wales. And off we went to Wales. We took Annie with us; she's going to start a dance ministry. We took Rodriguez with us, and Rodriguez is going to actually lead everyone in just crying out to the Lord because I just love the way He does that. And so the four of us go out to plant a church, and this is as far as we've gotten in this—in our own hearts. We recognize we're they're sinners. Just like us, we recognize that the only saving is through Jesus Christ. And so we got them. we preached the gospel. Okay, great. The problem is, if we don't let God sanctify, set apart our hearts and our views, reinvent exactly who we are, one of the areas that we'll have a problem with is in our area of success. Because one of the things that happens in sanctification, remember because the idea of not walking in the flesh where it's me first, is that God redefines everything. So here's what happens. We go to plant a church. Well, what's going to be our view of success? If we don't sanctify, if we don't let Jesus reinvent, redefine the terms, what is going to be our view of success? What would be a successful church to us? You tell me. Numbers. Lots and lots of people. You know what's sad? It's in the 70s, a group of church leaders met with a group of secular business executives and analysts to try to discover how to make the church more relevant. Now, what happened is, is we brought in, created an environment where the church became a business and the people that came in were consumers. And it's been that way ever since, if you think about it. But if we actually allow the Lord to redefine success, are you following me on this? Things are going to be different. It won't be, Rodrigue, how many people did you bring in today? Sam, how many people did you save today? Annie, how many chubby people did you turn into dancers today? Or whatever it is. By the time we're done, it would be, did you get to obey him today? Did you get to walk with him today? Because obedience is everything. The results are his, right? What if the Lord had called us to a church of 20 people? Would that be unsuccessful in the eyes of the world, perhaps? In the eyes of some church circles, perhaps? But not in the eyes of the Lord, if that's what he's ordained. I'd rather be innocent with 20 people than guilty over 20,000. And some guy stands up and says, you won't hear me speak of sin from the pulpit. I'm like, can I just say sin, 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 sin? We already started with that, right? So, look it, I'd rather be innocent with all y'all. And the joke is, or the, the phrase is, I would rather offend you with the truth than massage you into hell any day. Now, follow me on this. So, God sets us apart, and all of a sudden we start saying, because what happens is, if we stop putting us first, guess who becomes important? You do. No, no, please hear me. That's not me as a pastor. That's me as a Christian. That's you as a Christian. That's you as a Christian. As we And we've only gotten to step three of this five, right? And as we've gotten to step three... And this is where God starts changing and sanctifying. You start seeing God working in you when other people become more important. And a church like this, be it 10, 50, 100,000, or whatever it would be, is going to be. It can't get any bigger, by the way, if Jesus is here. Let's be honest. The heaven of heavens can't contain him. No matter how many of you come or don't come, I mean, I love you here. It's not going to get any bigger. But what would happen if every one of us allowed Jesus to do that with us? Where all of a sudden we came in looking to see how to bless someone else. Looking to see how to serve someone else. Instead of looking to say, is this going to meet my needs or not? Jesus meets your needs. A church will never meet your needs. Are you with me on that? That's just step three. But here becomes the dangerous thing. Let's see, we actually allow the Lord to do that. So what happens is Sam and Annie and Regan and myself, we're planning a church and we really do have a heart for people. We've moved to this place because our hearts are broken for the people in the area and all we want to do is be out and talk to them. Now that's going to be different for each of us perhaps in whatever way it is. But we're out and we're sharing. And let's just say in that, Sam meets Nathaniel. And Sam meets Nathaniel and he starts investing in Nathaniel and Nathaniel starts really popping up really great. I mean, he's starting to look great and he shoots up and things look really good. I mean, in the sense of like a shoot, not like shoots up. And, you know, and he's like, and things are looking really good and we're, we're just loving it. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and Sam's like, check it out. I think this guy's going to be our next pastor. I can see it in him. I see it. And all of a sudden, Sam blinks. And all of a sudden, Rodriguez is being—I'm sorry. Rodriguez, all of a sudden, Nathaniel is being arrested for, for you know um, for her abuse in the home. He'd beat his wife uh, to you know half to death, you know, and, and he's like running from the law and all this. Now, now, please hear me. Obviously, that's not the case with Nathaniel. That's not the case. But please hear me. You know what happens to Sam? Is he starts asking, like you would, "What did I do wrong? What could I have said?" What should I have said? Could ah, oh, you know, there was that meeting on that Tuesday and I couldn't make it because I was sick. I bet if I had made it, he wouldn't be there. And don't we do that to ourselves? Do you know why? Because that fourth step isn't grabbed a hold of, which is that God is still sovereign. He's the one who allowed us to be sick. He knew we'd make that choice beforehand. But here's the cool part. The Lord may allow all of that to bring Nathaniel into a more powerful relationship with the Lord that's permanent. Does that make sense? And we've watched that in many cases where, I mean, you go around the block even a couple times and you realize, and people are like, you know, we decided you guys are whack. I decided I want to go out and worship lettuce. And you're like, and I'm whack. All right. And off they go into whatever their thing is. And you think, and you go, oh God, what did we do? You're too long. And you know, and by the way, when someone leaves the church, they have to come up with a reason, right? And they're never going to say, I want to go sin. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. A lot of times, that's just quite simply the answer. But that's not what you're going to say. So what you're going to say is, the music's too loud, or the music's too quiet, or it doesn't rock, or whatever. Or the sermon's too long, or I don't like pews, I like whatever. Well, you know, it's like, you've got to come up with something, and you don't want to say, you know, the truth of the matter is, I want to move in and sleep with my girlfriend, and I don't feel comfortable in your church to do that. I would bet, by the way, if you want to go do something like that, please don't. But if you do, just tell me the truth, because at least I could sleep a little better. But I trust the Lord, right? Because what happens is everything, no matter what it is, you go to bed at night and you go, all right, Lord, is that the truth? And the Lord says, and, you know, I, and I'll be honest, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know how many times I lay even the length of a message before the Lord. And I go, I know these things are long in the sight of some people. Lord, you shorten it to lengthen and it whatever length you want, but I got to trust you in this. And when it's like, whoa, it's gone that, the Lord's like, hey, 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 settle down, Junior. Didn't I have, didn't you pray? didn't you trust that I was listening when you were praying? You ever get into a conversation with someone and you're sharing with someone and then you walk away and you go, oh, I just said that. You know? But the Lord's like, hey, 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 hey. Maybe I held your tongue. You know, sometimes for some of us, that's a miracle. That's me too. Hey, you know that. You know, where it's like, you know, it's like if, if you're ever like there and you're letting, especially as a pastor, because you want other people to rise up and they're starting to share. And you're like, my tongue gets hurt from biting it. Because I want to go, and, 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 and. And you're like, no, no, no. Cool, bro. I'm just going to pray. God, please. I should be praying for him. But God, just shut me up. Just shut me up. Shut me up. You know. It's like the Lord's like, look at, Am I in control or not? And there are times, you know, where you think you have an answer and you do something really crazy, you get humble enough to say, you know, I, I don't really know. Do you really ever think that the person's going, to go, ha, 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 I can't believe in God because you don't know who Cain's wife is. Do you know, sometimes I really believe the world is looking for us to be humble enough to be able to be honest and say, I, I don't know. What would happen if this week we said, all right, Lord, I never want to forget I'm a sinner in the sense that I never want to forget I am susceptible to bondage, but I'm not going to choose it. But I also see that that means that I have it, it, I have in common with everybody else sin. But I've been saved from it, from the penalty, from the guilt, and the power of it. And because of that, I'm going to walk in you now, and I want to be used. But i have got to trust you that you are going to show your mercy even in the craziest of circumstances. Now look at one last thing and we'll get into our text to develop it. Please hear me, please hear me on this. If we all have sin in common as as human beings, but we as saved have Jesus in common, we can choose our area of fellowship. You ever see, like three great Christian guys, but you put them together and you might as well just lock them up before they start the night. I mean, it's like, what happened? You see these gals and they're amazing girls, but you put them together and they're like a gaggle of gossip. What happened? It's because if we don't consciously choose to fellowship with Jesus, we'll default to the one thing we all know how to do and that's fellowship with sin. And that will be, which by the way, the easiest way is just to start making it about us again instead of about him. Does that make sense? Now listen, in that now, we get to chapter 12, verse 1, and now we begin, okay, so you want to serve. Well, notice, God assumes you've read 11 chapters to get to 12. So you want to serve. Are you aware of the fact you're still a sinner? Inside, there is a nature, a sin nature. Are you aware of that? And because of that, you're never that far away from the rest of the world. But you've been saved. That sinner that once ruled you is. Dead, But there is a nature that still wants preeminence, but you can choose to say no. So I can look out and still feel a compassion for the lost, but feel an appreciation for my salvation. Does that make sense? And then I look at that and I think, all right, God, reinvent my view of success. Reinvent what is important. Reinvent my direction, my identity. Redirect all of that. And let me trust that even when it doesn't make sense, you're going to use it. It's a death in the family. It's an illness. It's crazy circumstances. And you go, God, this seems such a step backward. But God, I'm going to trust that you're smarter than I am. And you're going to use this. And in chapter 12 now, he says, I then, I I beseech you. The word, by the way, is the word palakalau. And the word is to be called beside. The same word that's for counselor or comforter. In other words, can I counsel you on this? Can I plead with you for a moment, brothers? By the mercies of God. In the book of Romans, to give you an idea how important mercy was in that section where some people want to prove that God sends people to hell intentionally, can I just say that of the nine times that the word mercy is used in the book of Romans. Seven of them are used in chapters 9 through 11. Do you think that tells you something? And then the next one's right here. By the way, there are none before that, the word mercy. It says, by the way, 9.15, I'll have mercy on whomever I'll have mercy. 9.16, to him who wills, it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but it's the Lord who shows mercy. It's him who shows mercy. On verse 9.18, therefore he'll have mercy on whom he wills. 9.23, it says that he will make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. On 11.30, you who were once disobedient to God have now obtained mercy. 31, though through the mercy that was shown us, others may also obtain mercy. And then in 32, God has committed even those to disobedience that he might have mercy on them in the end. And therefore... That's what we should be getting out of this. It's What is that? 78% of the times the word is used in in the book of Romans are in those chapters. And now he says, now that you'll kind of get the idea that God's banking on mercy here in all of this. So we start with a knowledge that he plays for keeps. I start with a knowledge that that he does all of this to draw people and reconcile them through this mercy. He says, therefore, because of that, present. Do you see the word there in 12.1? Present. The word for present is the word paristemi. Could you say paristemi? Para means beside, like graph means to write. Paragraph is written beside. Istemi means to stand. As a matter of fact, if you actually tried to remove that which stands in your head, you would take an antihistamine. Antihistamine. That's where the word comes from. Now listen. Matthew 26, 53, when Jesus is about to be arrested and His boys are trying to save their God, Jesus says, whoa, 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 settle down, boys. Don't you think I can call to the Father and He would send down then 12 legions of angels beside me? In John 19, 26, Jesus recognizes at the cross that John, the disciple, is standing next to His mother. In Romans 6:13, 6, 6.16 619, we will see that it is always about the idea of bringing something beside. That's the idea. In the simplest sense, we understood this because everyone fought in the army like they do today in Israel. Gals and guys alike. Well, in those days, gals didn't, but in these days, they all do. When the trumpet is blown, the trumpeter stood next to the sergeant. And when he stood next to the sergeant, the sergeant called all to battle. Now, it didn't matter whether you were on reserves. It didn't matter whether you were just in just about any situation other than marriage. You were actually supposed to be exempt from fighting any war for a year from just getting married. Now, I don't know whether, you know, you could decide for yourself whether that's because you have your own battles to fight as a newlywed or whether that's because God just wants you to have that year with your bride. But can I just say this? The idea is when that trumpet is blown, he wants you standing beside him so he can give you the orders. There's the idea. That's the idea of presenting yourself. If you saw it as a military term, and the term is used that way, to me. And when we get to Romans 6, he says, listen, now that you are born again, now that you're no longer run and ruled by your sin, no longer present your body as an instrument of unrighteousness. Your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now get this. This thing, this thing is going to be someone's tool. The issue is whose. And I've learned this. Whatever is important to you, you will become an opportunist. If you knew that you had a problem with internet pornography, but you had two roommates, and you knew that both of your roommates were leaving at noon, you'd already start to plan. 12.01, I know what I'm doing if you had a problem with drinking and you knew that at this particular point we'd be walking by a place where you could slip out and get a couple drinks 3 or four, five, six, ten, fifteen drinks you'd start to make plans for it whatever that thing is hey, I'll just say it this way if Nathaniel has just fallen for some girl Bazinka the Lithuanian weightlifter well, you know You're welcome. If he had fallen for bazinka, he would make, because his heart was... And he could even say, oh, I don't care about bazinka. I mean, who cares about bazinka? But every time we start to talk to him, he starts bringing in bazinka, 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 right? And then he's like, you know, we need to go to the store, bro. We need to go to the store and get some eggs. He's like, well, I know this particular store. And, it's, you know, it's just a couple miles down the way. I'm like, bro, there's a store around the corner. He's like, no, no, no. There's this, this, it's a better store. They have better eggs. The best. It's grade A, A, A. Oh, you got to come. And you're walking, you like, oh, this is Neverzinka's place, isn't it? And you start realizing, no, you go like, okay, I can take three buses. They'll all wind up to the same spot. This one's about 10 minutes. This one's 12 minutes. And this one's 62 minutes. I'll take the 62-minute bus because it gets me near Bazinka. Now, the whole point of that is is that we become opportunists for what's important to us. And that's just, you know, that's just the way we are. Presenting ourselves, we're going to present ourselves to something. But let me tell you what, please, please hear me. If you can't get your appetites met by Jesus Christ, you're going to present your body to get them, whatever they are. You need power? You'll present your body for it. You want love? You'll present your body for it. It's like, hi, here's my body. Love me. Here's my body. Give me power. Here's my body. Give me importance. Here's my body. And we'll present it to whatever we need to. Whatever, whatever the slave driver is, whatever the thing is, we'll offer our bodies to the workforce. We'll offer our bodies to the, to the whatever it is, to the social crew. We'll offer our bodies to whatever is sort of masqueraded as love. But we'll give it up somewhere in some way. We'll advertise. We'll shape, nip, tuck, suck, whatever we need to do. We'll put on our fake up or whatever, to try to, whatever we can do, to try to make sure that somehow our bodies help get us somewhere. And he says, now listen, if you recognize that God knows how to use everything as a tool, why don't you offer Him your body as a tool? Because He's going to use it anyways. What would happen if you actually said, here I am. What would that be like? Listen, that is the beginning of service. After eleven chapters of dealing with sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, where God is smart, now we start to go. All right, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to serve, and God goes, "Good. Here's your first act of service." First of all, you wrapped around. You wrapped your head around the idea that I'm merciful, right? That I use everything to bring people to me, right? You recognize that, right? This is all about bringing people closer to me, right? What if that's where it started? Was even that mindset? I didn't get into Look at. I know guys. It's like, you know what? They were never really that popular. No girl ever really looked at them. They weren't that brilliant or whatever. But one day in a Bible study, someone was opening it up for people to share. And they, they said something. And people turned around and went, ooh, that was insightful. And they went, yeah, that was insightful. <laughs> Check that out. And then what happened is, the next time, they read ahead, right? And they read ahead, and they're like, oh. And they say, oh, I've got a couple points this time. And they're like, ah, blah, 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 And they say, and they're like, people go, like, ooh, you're pretty smart. And they're like, check it out. The next week, they listen to a couple teaching tapes beforehand. And now they're like, they've got a whole thing ready. Now, the whole reason I say that, I don't pick on people, because I don't have anyone in mind. Please hear me somewhere down the line you didn't enter into service by the time it's like I need to start a church because I could get people to look at me like this all the time. You didn't enter in because your whole purpose was that you recognize that God does everything to draw people to Him. Do you get that? Please hear me. Before I knew Jesus Christ I was a musician in front of a lot of people. You don't even need to hear how many or whatever but listen I know what that is and that is not success just because people look at you. I killed people. Honestly, honestly, I killed people about what I was doing. And it isn't good. On the other side of that, to serve people and to bring them closer, there's nothing, there's nothing like actually being a part of someone's testimony, be it however grandiose or small. And if you don't wrap your head, if I don't wrap my head around the fact that this is all about him bringing people to him, all my knowledge is going to look stupid because it's just going to be me like a puffer fish floating around full of air driving people, Try to get them closer to me. What good is that? And you know what happens then? It's not God's church, it's my church. And what happens is some other guy moves down the block and I'm like, hey, 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 don't get near my church, man. Hey, you know what? If everything's about bringing people closer to them, please, this, you know, let's think about it. There's 14.95 million people in the greater metropolitan London area. How many churches do you think we need? Anyone who thinks that there is a church got issues. What building holds 14.95 million people? I think there's one in heaven and that's about it. Please, please hear me. Because Obviously, this is why we're not doing this too quick. Please, I beseech you we really have a grasp on the fact that everything is about God using tools to bring Sam closer, to bring Marcia closer, to bring Amon closer, to bring Anton closer, to bring Andrew closer. If everything is, whatever that thing is, and then we say, now you want to serve? You do have that, right? You do get that, right? What you're then saying to present is, well, then can I be a part of that? Isn't that what we're saying here? to present, and we haven't even gotten to the the rest of it yet, but listen, what we may get through verse 1 tonight, and that's okay, right? Listen, if I really grasp that what God wants to do is I walk by some guy that's got that really goofy, here, I shouldn't even say that because he might show up here someday, but, you know, he's got that kind of double, it's kind of, I think, now I'm looking at it, and you know, I mean, Ruthie calls it she calls him butterfly man, but, I, but he's just dyed it red, and I start to think it's like the Red Sea. It's like parted on both sides. Empty dry ground in between. Let my hairline go. I'm just kidding, Lord. I'm not asking that. Um, please, please hear me. And, and I realized, I look at that person, I'm like, God wants you. And if every person I looked at, I realized, God wants you. Now, there's some people that want to talk about how their belly button's so important or whatever, and you're like, you know what? I don't think we're getting anywhere with this conversation right now, but please. I, I was like, you know, I, I, but I know that the Lord wants you. And, and if, you know what? Because I trust God's sovereign, I don't have to be the person that... I'm not a deal closer. I'm not a salesman. I could look and go, hey, you know what? Maybe I dug a blade in this soil. But clearly at this point, you're talking about things that make absolutely no sense. And But someone, you know what's crazy is uh, someone else may just totally connect. I'm not. So I'm going to just... God bless you. I'm going to run, you know, and I think I hear a bus calling or something. I'm going to jump in front of it or whatever, but... But please hear me. It's like, if I really knew that everything was about that, do you realize what happens when I wake up in a morning like this and I know that I'm going to have studies? When My prayer isn't, God, let me do something so people would go, I could never do that. Wouldn't that be awful if that was the ambition of a teacher? Wow, he comes up with such brilliant things. But wouldn't it be just much better if you just were like, you know what, I just walked out of here more in love with Jesus, closer to him. Now listen, I beseech you, because you've got your head wrapped around the fact that he wants to use everything to draw people to him. When well, I beseech you, then present yourselves. No, present your bodies. The same thing that in Romans chapter 6, he said, stop offering this thing, literally stop offering this thing to be used for unrighteous purposes. Now offer it for things that that are used to bring others to. That was back in chapter 6 when you were just starting to be set apart in that sanctification area. Now he's like, now that you realize that in service, offer this, offer this. And you know, here are my hands. What could these do? Here's this mouth. What could that do? Here are these feet. What could these do? These legs, what could these do, and then we help somebody move. I actually love helping people move, unless you have cats because I'm allergic, but otherwise, and it's like because it's good exercise, I actually like it, and I realize I get to use more parts of my body to serve the Lord, but listen, 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 if everything if everything is about bringing people closer to Jesus, he's got to be in it. please don't forget that. If I offer this body to him, not to you, but to him, well then whatever it is he's got to be. So look, at it's like some guy's cold out there and he wants a blanket. It's like, but what if I tell him I want to give you this blanket in Jesus' name and they say no? Then they're stupid. They're cold. But in the end of it all, it's like, you know what? Okay, I'll just stand here then. Nice blanket. This is a good blanket. Can I give you this blanket in Jesus' name yet? No. All right, I'll come back in 10 minutes. I've learned that people say no. They say yes sooner or later. Well, that was so mean. No, it's not, because I've given my body to him. Do you see that, what I'm saying? So don't say, well, look, I'm afraid that if I bring Jesus into what, they'll say no. Well, then they'll say no, but at least they know they're saying no to Jesus. Otherwise, what will happen is they'll say, well, you don't have to be, you know, people are nice. That person's nice, and they're not a Christian, and chances are they were a Christian. They were afraid to tell him. Offer my body, and here's where it gets fun, ready? As a living sacrifice. Wait a minute. Living sacrifice. Why not a dead sacrifice? Can you agree with me on this? It seems to me, at least in my head, it would be so much easier to die for Jesus than to live for him. If the dying were like gentle, drifting off. I know, something quick maybe. But a living sacrifice... And I've heard it said the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> you know it's like you know that's why literally it's, it's like offer keep offering yourself it's like here I am here I am oh, get over here I am and it's like I don't think God gets tired of the here I am I, I get tired of the, the crawling off but but he's getting tired because the whole point of it is, is that that's my life that's my life and that's your life now but listen every time I do that what I'm saying is oh Lord here I am use me to bring somebody to you today whatever way that is now that's not just unbeliever's that's not just unbelievers. Every one of us needs to be reminded to be brought closer. Because it isn't like God's like, now that you're saved, you'll never have to grow anymore, you'll never let's be honest. Every one of us needs to be brought closer. So don't tell me that it's like, well, I okay, I'm not too sure about it. Well, start here then. It's one of the reasons God brought the church. And so we could get together and, and actually and try things on each other. I don't know. Maybe I could teach. I don't know. And you know what's funny? is, If you love the Lord and you're around God's people, you'll find yourself doing what He's called you to. You don't even have to take a test or try to... You just find yourself doing it. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to offer my body then. But I'm going to offer my body to you because I know that everything is about you bringing people close to you as a living sacrifice. Holy, which means it's set apart and well-pleasing. Could you imagine? Have you ever in your life ever really experienced God's pleasure in you? Now, look, maybe you haven't had a family where anyone's ever taken delight in you. People, maybe guys, ladies, have taken false delight in you or men, ladies have taken false delight or whatever it is. But, But have you ever just Experienced God's pleasure and it wasn't because you did something awesome like perform some Herculean feat but really all you did is you just said I'm yours that's the one thing he wants listen according to this it says holy and literally well pleasing now look at you can see why we've gone through one verse right please hear me, a living sacrifice, holy, the term acceptable, you know, literally well-pleasing, which is your reasonable service. As we bring this to close tonight, please hear me. And you know, it's like this is one of those where I feel like if we had six more hours, I would have loved to go on. But listen, I know that this is where the Lord wants us tonight. Because to be honest, what's going to happen in the rest of the chapter is, Let's talk about what it means to give up that body. Do you know what part we want to start with? Your brain. That's where we're going to get. That's verses 2 and 3. Then it's going to be your heart. It'll be your eyes and hands, your feet. It's like, let me show you the practical. But first it starts with this. A willingness. Tonight, you have the opportunity to stoke out God, to bless Him. We have a blessable God. I mean, that's kind of crazy just to think about it in and of itself. But please hear me. This is what he's looking for. If you know that what he does is draw people closer, that's what he's in the business of. And we call ourselves Christians, which is supposed to mean like Christ, then that's what we should be in the business of. Because we're his children. We carry on the family trade. All he's asking is for us to just show up when the the bugle's blown. Well, how do I know when the bugle's blown? Well, how about if we just lived in a state of constant availability? That's a bummer, because what that means is we have to be darn it flexible. What that means is, have you ever been in a situation where you don't even have a place to be, but you're walking like you're late, and you have to get there, even though you don't even know where there is? Or you have to be someplace, but you don't have to be there for three hours, but you still like, feel like you have to get there now. And we're not talking about because the Lord's driving you. And sometimes what will happen is you forget that in the journey, the Lord may have some amazing things. Follow the story of Jesus and see how many times Jesus ministers to someone on the way to something else. Do you remember when a man comes up to Jesus and he says, My daughter's dying. She's 12 years old. And the man is Yeros. He is a synagogue leader. He's a very respected member of society. And he falls down and begs Jesus, which has to be quite an odd odd scene for a guy that has a lot of importance within it. You know, he's the assemblyman. He's the, you know, he's a political leader in his community. And he bows down before Jesus and says, my daughter is dying. And he goes, well then, let's go. As he starts to walk, I remind you, this girl is 12 years old. She's dying. As he starts to walk, a woman from the crowd reaches out and touches just the hem of his garment. Now understand, for every Jewish man, they had what's called Zidzi. They would wear these things with these tassels on the end of them. That reminded you, by the way, they were committed to the, to the law of God, they were attached to heaven, and that there was a faith that they were supposed to walk in. And so with all of that then, this woman touches the hem of her garment, and as she touches the hem of her garment, she receives healing. And then Jesus stops now, you would think in this moment, you'd think, well, it's cool. She got her healing. Everything's cool. Let's continue on. I have a job to do. But instead, he stops because he is not going to let, listen, listen, any of you sneak in and out with a miracle Jesus is about the one-on-one. When the masses are there, he teaches, but the multitudes tend not to turn out to be a really great thing by the end of the Gospels. On the other side of it, Jesus is always trying to get the one-on-one, and then he'll do something—he'll you know, do some great miracle—and he'll say, "Don't go tell people why." And Margaret says, "Because then he couldn't even walk into a town because everyone thronged him. What he really wanted was to get alone with people. He got out into deserted areas just so he could try to get a one-on-one. And even there, they thronged him. You get the idea—that's what he was looking for. So this gal is kind of touched him, and he stops and he goes, Whoa, Whoa, well, whoa! Well, someone touched me, and everyone's like, uh, "Duh!" You're like in a loaded lift, you know. You're like in rush hour down on the, the central line. Everybody's touching. He goes, "No, no, no!" There's a difference between brushing up against me and touching me. There's a big difference, and don't listen to to some crazy idea out there in your head. Hear what the Lord would want to tell you in this. Listen, the Lord wants you to know. There's a difference between reaching out to Jesus in faith and just wanting to brush up against Him. Church isn't about brushing up against Jesus. It's about reaching out to him in faith. And he recognizes it with this gal, and he turns around and he goes, okay, fess up, what's the deal? And he knows this, and she says, I have been bleeding for 12 years. Do you get that? 12 years. Now, what would it be like to be the dad of a 12-year-old hearing this woman say this? been bleeding for 12 years, which means I couldn't go to synagogue, I couldn't go to temple, I couldn't go anywhere like that in public, because that made me ceremonially unclean for 12 years, I've been hemorrhaging, and he looks and he could have said, cool, you're healed, gone, but he says, daughter, what an amazing moment to hear that from Jesus, daughter, your faith is you well, and at that moment now, they come and they say, the Yeros' servant say, the girl's dead. But if you had just stopped with this daughter to deal with my daughter, we wouldn't have had this. You get it? And Jesus says, hey, hey, hey. Don't stop believing. Let's go. By the time we're done, the girl is raised from the dead. Things are powerful. Everyone's blown away at the whole thing. And Jesus had done a bigger miracle than he would have had he gotten there in the first place. Now please hear me. Please hear me. Man, if your radar is on and your antennas are up, listen, sometimes what you're going to find is all, so much of the ministry happens on the road to something else. Especially, please hear me, especially, especially, especially when we're like on the road to do something that's leisurely with our friends. And you're like, you're walking, like, oh, we're going to go get some food. All right. <laughs> Hold on, guys. I can't ignore this. You can go if you need to. I'll be right back. My in-laws used to used to hate that. <laughs> like they couldn't walk me through San Luis Obispo because there would always be somebody that I, the Lord would just say, you, that person, that person. And so they just got used to it. They're like, okay, we'll meet you there. This is where we're going to be. We'll see you then, you know? you know what? It's like, and just please hear me. You know where I learned that the most from? My kids. Shantae, man, she just couldn't get anywhere. Because I mean, we'd walk, you know, in our little town. We'd walk and she'd just want to pet the dog and smell the flower. And And, and my wife would be just like, come on, we need to get somewhere. We didn't even need to be there at any time, but you just kind of get that task oriented thing. And she's like, ah, la, 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 Ooh, look, there's a seagull. Ah, you know? And it's like, this is, and it's like, I, I learned, you know what, though? We should be, mo- it got me back to realizing, enjoy the journey and be available. But please hear me. If the bugle is blown, and you're too busy getting somewhere that isn't on the Lord's diary, you won't even hear it, or worse yet, you'll ignore it. But if you're like, you know what, no matter what it is, and Jesus told us this, right? He said, look, it, don't just say, we're going to go into this town tomorrow, or this place, and do business, and such and such, he says, but if the Lord wills. In other words, everything is about tentative. That is no excuse to be late, or to do whatever, and, and bail on things, because and to be a flake. But what that says is, Look at no matter what it is, God gets first dibs on my diary. And I can't tell you I know what tomorrow is. Sufficient for that day is its own trouble. I just know this. When I get up tomorrow, this is my plan until the Lord changes it. But I've learned this. Every time he wrecks my schedule, it's for great things. What if, tonight believers, we started praying just simply that? Alright Lord, make me available. Put people first. Make me available. Put people first. What would that do? All well, my hands can bake a pie. Awesome. Some people, that's great ministry. I'm pretty good with machinery. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty handy. You know, what would happen if we cared for every widow? Make sure their lawns were mowed. Made sure that their sinks were running right. Because people were good enough or available enough, whatever, to do it. Who would ever thought a lawnmower could be a powerful tool? It is. What if that were the case? What if, by the way, let me challenge you on this. And I'm not trying to say this for invested interest in myself. Go find people in ministry that have children. If they trust you, offer to watch their kids and let them go out on a date. I try to do that with other pastors. Every time we used to go visit people in other countries, that's what we would do. Because they're like, that's the one thing we've never been able to do. It is amazing what happens when people get that chance. And again, I'm not saying that for our vested interest. There are other people who need it even more than we do right now. Prayer for that. Whatever that thing is. And here's the thing. It's like, well, it just seems like it's just a what? Hey, there are holy beanies that have been knit because you were led to do so. It's amazing what little thing you think is a huge thing for someone else. You may have a phone call that could really... I'm just kidding. Anyways, all right. Look, at I want to pray, but please hear me. What if we just made it that simple and just said, Lord, here's my body this week. I recognize everything's about you bringing people to you, believer and unbeliever alike. Here's the body. Use me whatever way you want. I'm going to trust you. I'm the instrument, not the artist. I'm the tool, not the craftsman. And I just want you to know I volunteer. I volunteer for you to wreck my diary for your glory. Well, what happens if you wake up and you're so sick you can't get out of bed? Maybe what the Lord said is, Today, I just want to spend a day with you because you have the right heart and I just wanted to enjoy you in it. Because don't forget, part of what he wants to do is draw you closer to him. But If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, that's where this starts. We're all sinners. But Jesus died to pay for that sin. He rose again from the grave to prove it was enough. And there's a new life on that. And if, you've just, if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you're still at step one. You're just sinner, like all of us were. But tonight, you can say yes to Jesus. You can accept that gift. And in doing so, it puts you on this amazing journey with the rest of us. If you have said yes to Jesus, oh man, let's become invisible together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing, beautiful text verse 1 And Lord we I know you assume that we're going to do more than just thank you for not going to hell. I know that you got so much more planned than just, hey, look at it. I'm just glad not to be punished for my sin. But Lord, you start setting us apart when we say yes to you. You come in and move in and by your holy spirit make your home inside of us, transforming us from the inside out, reinventing our personalities our priorities, reinventing our perspectives. And then in that, we want your will. But as we want your will, Lord, we have to recognize that your ways are sometimes just crazy in our opinion, but that's because you play for keeps and you know how to get permanent results. We know how to get temporary ones. So we're not going to ask an unsaved world how to get your job done. We're going to seek you in your word. And as we prepare for these um, chapters in the weeks to come, Lord, I just pray it would explode open for us. But Lord, I just pray you would forgive me and anyone else in here, Lord, that um, can get caught in that trap of not making this about putting us last, you first, another second. Lord, let it be that everything we do is because you've made other people more important than ourselves. And Lord, I just pray tonight for every believer in here that this week we would just say, "All right, Lord, I'm offering you my body. Use it, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my heart, my mind, my mouth, my ears, whatever it is, just use it this week. Don't let us be caught in the trap that we don't think we can serve unless there's some program designed for us to do so within a church. Lord, we are available 24-7 even as we seek to pray without ceasing, to just always be available and be in communication with You, we cast ourselves before You and say, Lord, we are Your tools for Your reconciliation with man. Be it the saved or unsaved, draw us, use us, draw us deeper into our relationship with You. And tonight, if you've not said yes to Jesus Christ and you recognize there's a choice to be made, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying by saying amen is, you're saying, I agree. I've made that choice. Let that prayer be mine. Those words be mine. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I confess to you, I'm a sinner, just as you've made clear in your text. I've traded you in for other things in my life to put me first. But you've told me that I have earned from that punishment for my guilt but you love me so much you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me so that all my guilt could be punished (coughs) and as you died on the cross as you died on the cross my penalty died with you and as you rose from the grave you have the right to be the Lord and Savior of my life and so I surrender myself to you putting the trust of my heart upon you for what it takes to make me right with the Father With my Creator, I say yes. Jesus, thank you for being my ransom, my Savior, and my risen Lord. So here I am. I'm yours. I know this starts with surrender, and it ends with surrender. So Lord, in that, may my life be one surrendered to you, as you begin this beautiful work in my life as well. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.